A big hello to you and welcome to Pet Chat. It's Sarah with you and I'm joined uh, by Daniel Carrington. Hello. Hello. Good, good afternoon. Have, Thank so you very much. So good to have you back on the show. Thank you. And our Dr. Paul McCarthy. Hello. Always great to see you. Thank you very much, Sarah. Denny, what are we chatting about today? Well, look... You know, one of the very big popular breeds for a number of years now, that, that's not a registered breed as such, but it's a crossbreed, is different types of oodles. Oh, there's oodles of oodles. There's oodles of oodles, totally. And, like, you've got cavoodles and bishoodles and pagoodles and all sorts of different Groodles, breeds. that's what I want. Groodles, there you mm. go. So what I thought is let's talk to someone who specialises in oodles. Now, Denny, you've got a special guest on today. I do. So, you know... One of the most cuddliest and like cutest looking breeds of dogs is, is one of the crossbreeds in terms of the oodle types of variety. Well, they have great hair. A they do, them. and they don't shed hair. Mm. You know, they're, they're very, very popular. There's bushoodles and cavoodles and labradoodles. And I just thought, why not talk to someone who specialises in oodle breeds? And on the line, we've got Samantha Kay from Kaiserdale Farm. She's a, a boarding kennel of boarding facility for oodle breeds, but also trains oodle breeds. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Daniel. I'm Sam- with you. Samantha, I guess first of all, we, we mentioned some of the, the crossbreeds of oodles, but can you give us a rundown? What types of oodle breeds are around? There's an awful lot now. Um, it's basically anything that's been crossed with a poodle is now classed as an oodle. Yep. So we've got the labradoodle being the most popular. Um, then we have the groodles, which is the golden retriever cross. Yes. The poodles. Uh, we have Boodles, which is the Spaniel cross. Yeah. We've got Moodles, um, even as far down as a Havoodle, which is a Havanese cross poodle. Okay. Um, wow. Having said that, they have been greatly developed since those first crosses. Yeah. Um, but the Labradoodle is probably the most popular of them all still. And the Labradoodle comes in different sizes or...? Yes, they do. Um, it comes in a mini, a medium and a standard. Okay. So your standard's the big poodle. When you see a your really tall poodle, that's the standard yeah, poodle? Yeah, so that would be about the size of your standard um, labradoodle or groodle. Yeah, okay, because yeah. they're mixed with that larger breed of dog. Yeah. They are. They have to keep the poodle infusion to keep the coat strong. So, I see. Um, yeah, so the I mean the Labrador or the Golden Retriever probably hasn't been developed in that line for a long time now. Mm-hmm. So it's a Labradoodle cross Labradoodle a lot of the time, but the poodle does need to still be there to keep that that coat strong and from not shedding. I see. Um, the Labradoodle itself was actually first and originally bred in Australia in 1989 um, by Wally Conran of the Royal Guide Dog Association, and it was in an attempt to provide a guide dog for a lady in Hawaii whose husband actually had allergies. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you come go. a long way since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about um, that, then what type of families would be suited to the different oodle breeds? I would say they're suited to most families, Daniel. Mm. They are intelligent dogs. Um, they make the ideal family pet if properly trained. Um, they're friendly. They're playful. They're suited to almost anyone because they're adaptable. But they're mm. great with children. They're great with families with special needs um, as they're very tactile and intuitive. They're great with active people. Um, they suit apartment living because they can tolerate being left alone. They're good for people with allergies due to the low shedding. Although, having said that, some people can actually be allergic to the saliva of dogs, not the fleece. Mm. 
But honestly, a well-bred oodle with a characteristic temperament is an absolute joy to own. So in regards to that, uh, do we need to be aware of any socialisation and training issues that oodle breeds need? Oh, yes, and this is probably my passion. Um, The same as with any dog, if we want our pets to become calm, confident members of our families and the community, we need to train them. So early socialisation should actually start prior to the puppy even leaving the breeder because from two to four weeks, the eyes open, smell and hear and develop and they start walking. Mm. Then from eight weeks when we receive our puppies, um, it's incredibly important to introduce our pups to other people, to dogs that have been fully vaccinated, I may say, new environments and sounds. They need to have lots of positive exposure. We need to train our dogs to be happy with new encounters. Um, we do need to bear in mind the vaccination, as I mentioned. So we do a lot of carrying of our puppies. We have them in puppy slings. We put them in trolleys at Bunnings. We put them in a crate in the back of our car and have the car open so that they can watch the world go by. Um, take them to puppy preschool. But really avoid the high traffic dog areas, such as parks and beaches. Um, and then once past that, it should be continued and um, be consistent with basic obedience as this is the basis of good manners, which is ultimately what we all want in our dog. We want everyone to be able to invite ourselves and our dog, you know, to their home. Now you've um, mentioned... Have people in our homes and our dogs have good manners around them. You've mentioned so many good points there with socialisation and training. Um, yeah, I, I really like all that, and that's so important at that age bracket. I guess I just want to finish off with one more question um, that, that is important, and you mentioned even about uh, the breeder being vital to that socialisation part. Absolutely. So how does yes. someone who's looking at buying a noodle breed, and we can't mention breeder names, but how, no, do no, they, no. how do they select a good breeder? What should they ask questions of, or what should they look off, uh, for? Well... I say, first of all, do your research and ensure that this is the type of dog that you want and what dog ownership actually involves. Mm. Then speak to as many people as possible about the breeder that you're thinking of buying from and ask their experiences. Then speak to the breeder and ask them many questions, such as um, what is their socialisation program of the pups prior to them leaving at eight weeks? Mm. Um, Make sure you know the size of the parents the age um, of the parents that they breed from. They shouldn't be bred from under two years of age. Um, Are the pups born in their home with round-the-clock care during birthing? Um, Reputable breeders often will post videos of the birthing mums on social media and you're able to see if it's in a home-style environment. It's so easy to be taken in by glossy websites and pictures of cute pups because, I mean, let's face it, all pups are cute. Yeah. Um, but I say to people, you know, if you're in doubt, because there are so many breeders out there, please feel free to contact us here at Paisadale Farm and we will happily put you in touch with a reputable breeder to help ensure that you get an awesome puppy. Samantha, thank you very much for all that information. That's a wealth of information to consider, but it's really good points, isn't it? Really good points. And, you know, I think about five years ago, I fell in love with Dougal the Groodle, who I found in Wagga. Um, and I just think they're amazing. I know, you know, you've got to be careful with, with, as Samantha was saying, picking breeds, but they just seem very intelligent. He was actually a, a dog that went around to um, old aged care mm. homes and he was a th- bit of a therapy dog. Well, as Samantha 
Samantha says because they're crossed with a poodle, poodle is a very high intelligent dog anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that obviously gets passed down as well. So, but uh, yeah, then you've got the char- characteristics of the other cross too. Dr. Paul McCarthy, you would know a bit about this. Um, with, with the crossbreeding, do they come with many health issues? We do know that other crossbreeds can bear a lot of health issues. Yeah, so ger- generally most crossbreeds have a condition called hybrid vigour where if you actually combine the genes of two separate, uh, two separate breeds, you'll often get a, a, an almost a more robust dog um, with crossbreeding. So crossbreeding actually is a very healthy thing to do. Okay, um, excellent. The, the risk of sort of minimising a gene pool can bring out more congenital defects, um, and, and we have sadly seen that in some of the pure breeds in a country like Australia where often the importation of dogs is difficult. So we often have what we call, is often called line breeding, where often there isn't that input coming in from other other. Um, um, individuals into a breed. So um, I'm a big fan of the, of, of the oodles. And I think one of the things I want to be aware is that um, they, they don't all have the same characteristics. Mm. So mm. not every oodle is the same as every other oodle. Um, and there is that often belief that they're all going to be these very big, soft, fluffy guys who are really easy going. But you need to, as was mentioned by, by, by Kay, was it, that we have um, the training is important yeah, and sure. just that not to expect that the dog you have arrive at your house is that perfect dog you've seen in the street. So, yeah. yeah, very critical to get that done right. Denny, there's a dog show that people may be interested in. Yeah, look, I like to promote this. So this is not this coming weekend. It's, it's the weekend after. So Sunday the 14th of October at 10am at, at the Hillsborough Dog Show Grounds, there's a specialty show which is the Northern British Bulldog Club. Now, what the specialty show means is it's just... Uh, only uh, British Bulldogs are competing in that show and there's loads of breeders that come from all over the country to compete in this show. So there could be 40, 50, 60 breeders bringing all their dogs. There might be 150, 200 British Bulldogs. So if you're interested in that breed, um, go and talk to the breeders on the 14th of October, 10am at Hillsborough Dog Show Grounds. Talk to the breeders about the breed and what it's like to own a British Bulldog. Uh, We just had Daniel Carrington on and uh, we were discussing uh, the breed Oodle. Yes. And you were sort of mentioning how important it is yeah. to really look at whatever breed you're getting. Correct. Get it's always a really good breed. idea to, particularly in it when you're getting a crossbreed dog, um, it's important to meet both the sire and the dam. So if you can meet the parents of a new puppy you're getting, um, it won't give you a guarantee of the behaviour you're likely to expect, but it gives you an idea about a, how approachable they are. So, okay. so um, behaviours are to a degree inheritable. So you don't inherit behaviour per se, but if you inherit the propensity to develop anxiety or to develop separation, fear, responses, um, if you meet the parents and they're really boisterous, happy dogs, um, that's a positive. If you sort of um, meet the parents and they're a bit standoffish or, or you can't meet the parents, the breeders are, are shy about letting you uh, meet the parents, mm-hmm. that can sometimes just set off some warning bells that it's really important that there may be a reason why you're not able to see those parents or, or, or that that anxiety displayed by the parents may manifest in your puppy. Okay, so going to uh, dog breed shows and that yeah, sort that's of a thing, really, really great way to start. To so if you've yeah. got any questions, if you're even thinking about what kind of dog you actually like, one of the really great ways to, to sort of get to know a dog or to, uh, a breed that you may be interested in is to go to see them in the flesh. Okay. So go to a dog show. There's lots of dog shows in Newcastle on a regular basis and there there can be specialties like the bulldog show that was already mentioned. But they're often mixed, mixed um, breed shows as well um, where you'll get a whole collection of different breeds over the two or three days that the shows are running.
thing. And it's a really nice way to meet the breeders. If you do find a breed you particularly like, you can discuss with them. Um, yeah, in more of a relaxed breed. setting, I guess, yeah, than going yeah, to, you know, for yeah. this. And you'll just see purpose. some really beautiful individual dogs. Like, okay. it's, it's a really nice environment, the dog show. Some good advice. Now, Dr. Paul, we're looking today at behavioural issues mm. and whether it's just a dog being a little bit naughty or whether there's something inherently, um, yeah. you know, so it, it wrong came with up their behaviour. Consult today, I was talking to some clients and um, and they were describing what they what they thought was just a um, a, a, a behaviour that the dog would grow out of. Now, it's, it's a common scenario is that often it's thought that these behaviours are just sort of a, a puppy being a puppy. So that might be chewing on a toy? Yeah, so this, this example was a dog who lunged at bikes. Okay. Okay, so, so the puppy seemed to sort of be interested um, at, in bikes and now he's sort of lunging at bikes going past. Right. Now, their belief was that this was just a game, it was, a, you know, a, a chasing an object. Yep. Um, and, and that this would pass as the dog grew up. Now, it could be that's the case, but the other possibility is that this dog is scared of that bike coming past and what they're actually doing is is barking or chasing the, the, the bike away. Now, the problem with that behaviour gets repeated regularly as a puppy is that the puppy will believe that the reason they remain safe from that bike coming past is that they scared the bike away. Right. And so what actually will happen is that the behaviour becomes reinforced rather than they grow out of the behaviour. And so the more about, they do it, the more they will continue to do it, it, I guess. it, it achieves the goal. Yep. I, I won against that bike by doing my lunging behaviour, so that's the behaviour that I'll do the next time I see okay. the bike. And the next time I see the bike. Um, and and because it, the bike was always going to go past, they're always going to succeed. Yes. And so behaviours that are successful to keeping a dog safe are the ones that are reinforced and kept. Is this something we can curb? Absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So an earlier intervention, better. So don't wait till 18 months or two years before you talk to your vet about whether there is a behavioural change that you could instill in your dog. The earlier you can start those behavioural um, interventions, the far more likely you will curb those behaviours. Okay. And, and really it's often just about reassuring the dog that they're safe. So when the bike comes past, you give the dog a treat. You yes. praise the dog. So what you've actually done before the wind-up and the fear has begun is you've linked a positive experience with what they're viewing as a negative experience. And if you can continue that pairing, rather than being nervous of the bike coming past, they get excited about the bike coming past because they might get a treat or they might get it some praise. It becomes a positive It becomes thing. a positive. And so therefore that fear that initially was commencing the behaviour it has been removed. And I think that positive reinforcement is so important because I know, um, you know, back in the day, it, it wasn't always that. It was more reprimanding, Correct. which, of course, yeah. we now know will, will feed that fear yeah, and probably that's exacerbate right. so, the situation. And, and look, ne negative reinforcement um, will work quickly. So the problem about it, though, is it doesn't stay. Ah, uh, okay. okay. So, so it does so work, you, but for yeah, a short period yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah. You could scare a dog into doing whatever you want it to do. But the problem with that learnt behaviour is that it doesn't stay. Okay. And, and so people often tell me that, you know, their, their dog was barking, so they threw things at it and it stopped barking, but now it's barking again. And what happened was they didn't treat the dog in a way that, that it meant that the behaviour was, was that they weren't feeling safer, they were actually feeling more fearful, they were initially too fearful of you to do the barking again, but as they become less worried about you, but still worried about what they're barking at, the barking returns. Okay. So there is, um, you know, there's a lot of movement now away from trying to use that negative reinforcement and, and to try and really gain your dog's trust. 
um, dogs who feel safe are more likely to behave properly than dogs who are feeling nervous or anxious. So, Paul, you've given the situation of the dog that's lunging at bikes that are going past. Mm. What are some other scenarios where a dog could have um, an ingrained, you know, behaviour issue that needs to be addressed rather okay. than just so acting out? As it a can puppy? be the opposite. So, for example, if a dog would hide under the chair when someone comes into the room or a dog that hides behind you when the bike comes past. So their response to the fearful response is actually to, to run, yeah. to try and get away. Okay. Um, and that's not normal behaviour. That's not confidence, that's fear. Um, now, the problem with dogs who are always using a fear response and hiding is that if push comes to shove for that dog, if they are continually approached while they're hiding in their position, they don't have backup anymore. They're in their corner, they can't get away. The only thing that those dogs have left to rely on then is bite. And so fear biting they've got to fight. Yeah, they've got to fight their way out the of their scenario. So, so fear biting is not an uncommon scenario in, in dogs that, that are actually trying to protect themselves rather than um, be the aggressor in those circumstances. And, and often they're very noticeable from a very young age. So that puppy that you approach and you, when you first go to meet your breeder, that puppy that backs away from you or, or runs into the corner, that's an anxiety response. That, that's, that's something that you would think maybe if I do take that puppy on, I've got to be very conscious of how I socialise this dog. It needs to be a very careful and gradual socialisation. That isn't the dog you take to Bar Beach on a weekend or you take to the football yes. and watch the kids play. That's the puppy that you sit on the park bench a long way from people and you gradually move closer to people as the confidence in that puppy grows. I guess it's learning their body language and signs um, exactly for example my Maltese always growls if he's uncomfortable with the situation and I've been told that's actually a really good thing because he doesn't bite doesn't he's just trying bite to he's the giving warning. a warning that's and right yeah you know and it's good to teach your kids as soon as you know he well there's signs before the growl I was going to say that that's <laughs> there the, is, the growl is one step away yeah from the mark, there is so. signs before the growl yeah. but I guess and, with them you can go right move away correct right, immediately move away from gizmo he's that's unhappy it. that's so. it and there is a it's an important point you bring up Sarah is that children do not understand body language no and look even adults are pretty ordinary at reading dog body language. <laughs> so um, though there's a lot of training programs out there in schools now to teach children how to handle, be around dogs, what, what to do and what not do around dogs, because for dogs, children also display really ordinary body language. They, yeah. they wave their hands around, oh, they, they, they scream in high voices. And they're painful, let's be honest. <laughs> like kids are painful. <laughs> and, and, look, and for some dogs, that's exactly what they are. They are painful. Um, and they've only got a couple of options. They can either run away from that child or they can try and scare that child away with the bluff. Yeah. Um, and that's where those growls often come into place. Okay. And, and welcome to the show, Michael from Lemon Tree Passage. You've got a dog, uh, a rescue dog, a boxer, but you've got some issues that you're hoping Dr. Paul might be able to uh, provide some advice on. Yeah, that's right. Um, he's had basically two and a half years of no training. Um, training's going well with him, apart from when we're walking past other dogs. Uh, and then he just gets overexcited, lunging and barking at them. Uh, it's not in an aggressive way, but just dragging you around off the lead kind of thing. Yeah, okay. So, look, look boxers are, can be hyper-excitable dogs, and, and hyper-excitability can manifest as that sort of bouncing boxer on the end of a lead scenario. So the, the way to try and uh, um, really get that sort of behaviour to be diminished um, is to just have the, a space between you and the dogs and have so much exposure without the excitement being stimulated. So it's about um, having the dog really be from a distance away from dogs passing through so we don't um, trigger that threshold or, or sort of achieve that threshold where... He can't control the excitement. How old did you say the boxer was, did you say? Two, two and a half? About two and a half, yeah. Okay. And um, how much exposure do you have as far as walks and different things go? 
Uh, we're walking every day, but as well as that, I go to dog training every uh, every weekend where he's with, um, you know, about 10 other dogs. Yeah, terrific. Um, so at the dog training group? absolutely stupid. Yeah, it's a dog training group. Starts off absolutely stupid. By the end of the session, he's calmed down. Yeah, and um, so another thing you could do before that group. Yeah, so before you get to the group, um, take a dog for a walk. Um, do some activity. So often if you have your dog with a, a slightly less um, uh, energy level, They'll concentrate better. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what you're really trying to do is uh, not have the behavior elicited. So if he doesn't jump and lunge at another dog for a period of time, he'll hopefully learn that behavior is unnecessary and he won't actually do that behavior. It's about trying to encourage them to do something else. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so I think in this circumstance, it's about trying to have the contact be from a distance and to try and encourage him to be looking at a displacement behaviour rather than that excitement happening. Thank you for your call, Michael. 49216216 is our number. We're going to go to Craig now. Craig, you're in New Lambton. You've got a 10-year-old dog, but he's starting to become aggressive with other dogs. Yeah, that's right. She's only a, um, a little poodle cross Maltese terrier. Um, so uh, it's a, a moodle and um, she's been walked really often and she's generally or has been really well socialised with other dogs. You could let her off the lead and she'd go for a run. She's pretty energetic. But just lately now, she's just hit 10 years old, when we come up to other dogs, she starts the growling and, and snaps, actually snaps at them. Okay. So there could be two things here to, to, to investigate. The first is if a change has been sudden, there may be another medical reasons why she's not feeling that she, she behaviourally can relax around other dogs. So dogs who develop arthritic disease or have, have pain in, in other areas, such as their abdomen or their chest, are actually hoping to not have direct contact with another dog that may bump them or hurt them. So one of the things we do is talk to your vet about whether there is a possibility in a 10-year-old dog possibly arthritic disease may be the reason why she's less wanting to have that direct intervention or play with another dog so there's the medical avenue to look at the second thing is that sometimes dogs who have uh have generally been very good around dogs have a negative experience that may then stimulate that behavior then to stay so if another dog she met snapped and growled at her she might think now that her safety is less because she's 10 she can't run as fast she's not as strong if she gets in trouble she might be trying to preempt having to fight her way out of a battle by getting in first. Righto. So you reckon get her checked at the vet, though? I, I would think there's always a good rule out for any behavioural change is just see if there's a medical reason behind it. Pain can make you fairly uncomfortable about any interactions, as in humans. Yeah, right. OK. Great. Thank thanks so much for your call. We really appreciate it. We're going to go to Mel now. Mel, you're in Arcadia Vale, and uh, your dog's quite protective. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. He, um, he's a cavoodle, he's six years old, and I have a 17-year-old um, son. So um, he said, not, I don't know whether it's a jealousy, but if my son comes up and gives me a cuddle, he wants to be up in there as well. But I've found that when he, um, like my son will rough around with me and grab onto me, and then the dog, he'll, he'll bark. It's not, doesn't seem like a vicious bark, but, and I don't know whether he's just trying to join in or whether it's something that we should avoid. Because yeah, so I am the, sort of struggling and going, you know, let me go sort of thing, mucking around as well with my son. So yeah. I don't know whether I'm contributing as well. Yeah, so what's happening is he ha- cannot understand your body language at all. Yeah. So um, dogs don't do what you do. 
They don't hug each yep. other. They don't do behaviours that, that, that are being manifested in a, in a normal family. And for some oh. dogs, that behaviour that's being, being displayed for them is very confusing. And so often the bark is actually a bark of, I'm, I'm concerned, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. and, and that could be where that's from. Um, the, the jumping up is often because if everyone's doing the same thing, the dog may wish to be involved, of course, so they're, they're mimicking yeah. behaviour. But it could also be they're looking for reassurance because people's body posture has changed. So remembering okay. that species like canines have a very different um, language of body than we do and things that we are quite accustomed to as a human can be quite confronting or challenging for dogs. So it's really, I think, in this circumstance, um, with your contact and your play with, with your son, um, maybe just sort of uh, either calm that down when the dog is around or give some reassurance to your dog when that's occurring so that we're not you know, fostering any anxiety about the contact. Do that reassurance. What is it? Is it yeah. So often, if you're going in to give your son a hug or play the game, is is, is let your dog know what's happening first. So it might be that you're going to say hello to your dog. Um, you might give a treat to your dog, and then you hug your son. So we've provided a reinsurance before the behaviour becomes manifested. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot. No, that's okay. Good, Good luck. luck. Well, that's that's a big one, isn't it? Like it is. Yeah, uh, and and lots of people get confused about what their dog's doing when they have um, rambunctious play in a family, yes. or or brothers who wrestle on the floor with sisters and things. Um, that sort of behaviour for dogs is really not confusing. Un- yeah, really confusing. Friends of mine have a little dog. Oh, I think she's a little terrier, um, Willow. And I went around for the first time over the weekend, and when I went in to hug Fran goodbye, she really got quite upset willow i mean the dog yeah, she yeah, sort yeah. of lunged at me and yes. i think she thought i was trying to hurt correct her. yeah and, and 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 for dogs who have their their defense is offense which is you know bluff or scare that that enemy away that's the behavior that they, they have to rely on to try and stop the situation that, you know becoming accelerated and putting the dog at risk i, I could imagine that would be a hard one to try and it's, um, it's break a hard one as a, as a mature dog yeah, so this is one okay. of these things that when you start with your puppy you expose them to as many behaviors you're going Going to have in their life at an early age so they become accustomed to those as they grow up but these are not abnormal behaviors this is what a family does okay we're going to go now to our last call i think uh we're, we've got tony hello you're in singleton and your three-year-old dog starting to get a little vocal when uh, hopping into the car yes yeah, she's getting very vocal yeah okay so um it's probably the fact tony that she doesn't enjoy getting into the car um, either the car itself provides her with some um, anxiety, either the actual movement of the car or often where the car ends up going to. So some dogs link a car trip often to going to a vet or going to a boarding facility. Often dogs is the only reason they get into a car. So it can be linked to that as, a, as an issue. The thing to start doing is to put her into the car with you and sit in the car with the, the, either the car on or off and just stay quiet um, if the dog stops barking, we praise that behaviour, and then you get out of the car. So what you're doing is you're desensitising her to being in the vehicle. You're providing the vehicle as a safe environment. Nothing negative is happening in the vehicle. Often there's a praise or a treat for being calm in the vehicle. So what's happening is she likes to be back in the car. Um, it's about that desensitisation to what she maybe is now seeing as an anxious event. Um, it's like when I'm getting ready to go to work, she knows she's going because she goes to, like, I call it daddy daycare. Yep. <laughs> and, and there's other dogs there and she just can't get in the car quick enough. Yeah, because that, that event's a good event. 
So there's excitement associated with that. And sometimes that excitement can manifest as barking before we get into the car as well. But it can be conflicted. There are some dogs who like going to daycare. There can be some dogs who find being in around another dog an issue. There can be the separation from you can be an issue. Um, So separation anxiety can manifest as that behaviour as well. She's very loyal to me, um, too loyal actually. You know, very gets very anxious when I, even if I just go up the street and leave her at home, um, I've got to pop the door open because she chewed through the plastic on the gate. Oh. Yeah, have a chat to your local vet about some things you can talk to them about separation anxiety. There are lots of different training techniques as well as medications that can help with that. They're a wonderful world, aren't they, our pets? We're we're learning more about how to read their minds a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they keep us on our toes, but, gee, we wouldn't be without them, that's for sure. Not at all. Look, that's just about it for Pet Chat. Thank you for everyone who phoned in today. Always love getting your calls. And uh, Dr Paul McCarthy, some pretty good advice there today too. Well, I hope so. Uh, Really, it's just about understanding that dogs aren't people and they require a different set of rules. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.